This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Good morning. My name is Spencer. I am one of the pastors here. We are in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. We have two more weeks in 1 John, and we have completed uh, the book. So you can follow along with us on the screen. You can also open a blue Bible around you. It'll be on page 593 uh, near the back. If you don't have a Bible at home, uh, please take that. That's, that's our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible uh, that you can read. Something that, that Christians struggle with uh, from time to time, though we're not always honest about it, is doubt. It's something that maybe we're not even honest with our own selves when we struggle with this. But we do. If you follow Jesus long enough, you're going to struggle with doubt. Like as a, as, as a pastor, even pastors struggle with doubt. And I have to ask myself sometimes, like, do I, do I really believe this? Like, I preach this. My life is built upon this. Do I actually believe this? And I want to give you a window in into a little bit of how I think about this and some of the reasoning that I go through. My logic is certainly not infallible, but this is how I process it. There are actually two possible options in how I've observed and studied. There's two possible options for what is true and for what is reality. The first option is that everything is the result of crazy, cosmic, random chance. That, that life on earth and everything that we know in existence is just crazy chance that in the vast expanse of the universe we have this galaxy and within this galaxy we have this solar system and within the solar system we have the earth and it's like perfectly positioned in the solar system and perfectly tilted at a 23.5 degree tilt to be able to sustain life and that everything that we see is just one and I mean people try to run odds on this one in trillion quadrillion ridiculous amounts of chance that everything we see just is. There's no such thing as love. There's no such thing as purpose or meaning or beauty. All of that's invented. You have to be consistent here. Everything you see just is. And then you die, and then there's nothingness. All right, that's one possible option. The other possible option for me is that Jesus is who he said he was. That, that Jesus is the one true God. That when I look at this world, that it is, it's so obvious to me that it's, it's designed. There's so many things that had to fall into place to the big picture of where the earth is positioned and how it's positioned all the way down to like the design of the human eyeball. There's so many things that show that this was designed. And if I believe that this was designed, then I need to work with who actually made this. And when you look at the different faith systems, the different creator type claims, I find Christianity to be the most compelling like I studied world religions in college. I actually studied world religions and visited the different countries where these are practiced. I studied Islam and then studied that in the context of Morocco and visited there. I studied uh, Hinduism and visited Hindu temples in India. I studied Buddhism and went to a Buddhist temple in uh, Thailand. 
that anyone who makes the claim that all these world religions are just claiming the same thing, they don't know what they're talking about. They haven't actually studied these. They're making distinctly different claims. And Christianity, even more so, is making claims that are distinct from the others. Because we believe in an imminent God who actually came. But the one thing I must concede in my faith is that my faith is built upon a testimony. That my faith is built upon the testimony of the scriptures, the testimony of our God, the testimony of people who saw Jesus live this life on this earth, who saw him die a death on the cross, who saw him rise from the grave and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, that his body will never be found. I must concede that my faith is built upon that testimony. What I want us to see this morning is that testimony actually, this testimony is powerful. And this testimony absolutely can lead us to belief. Some of you are not a Christian. And maybe you're just figuring this out. Maybe you're just exploring this. Maybe you are working through doubts. And I want to let you know this is a safe place for that, to be able to work through doubts. And I, I want you to clearly hear, I think God wants to meet you here in your doubt this morning. Some of you believe the gospel. You're a follower of Jesus. But you struggle with doubt. And it maybe shows up in a lot of different forms. I want you to hear very clearly this morning, built upon the testimony of God, that he wants to continue to win you over to faith in Christ. The passage that we're going to be in this morning is going to speak about the power of testimony. My hope is, is that we would listen, that wherever you are in this journey, that you would listen and by faith respond. So let me read the text, and then we will walk through this together. Verse 6 says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If you receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Let me pray for us. And then we'll walk through this together. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to the scriptures this morning. That for those who are struggling with doubt, that they would be able to listen to your word, to your calling. May you win each of us over. Amen. Okay, so we're going to walk through this and see his argument, and then I want to sit in the power and the importance of testimony. So I'm going to go back a verse uh, to where Chet left off last week in verse 5. It says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That as John is wrapping up his final arguments in this book, one of the things we've seen over and over again is that he wants us to know what it means to believe. That Chet walked us through last week, this, this really this triangle that he's hitting over and over again. 
That over and over again, he's been uh, teaching us and telling us that this evidence of faith in our life is that we would love God, that we would love one another, that we would obey the commandments. And he's teaching this over and over again, and now he's going to switch gears, and he's going to show what this evidence testifies to. And in these seven verses in our passage, it says testimony eight times. The word testimony in some form shows up eight times any time that you study the scriptures. And you see a word repeated over and over and over and over and over again. Highlight it, right? Circle it, underline it, make a mental note. The Lord is trying to teach you something in this. He's trying to show us something about testimony. Now, when you hear the word testimony, I would argue that most of you, probably your mind runs to the courtroom. It's one of the most familiar uh, uh, uses of testimony that that we have is in the courtroom, someone who is giving testimony on the witness stand, right? There's enough crime TV, there's enough law and order, there's enough things that you're just familiar with. Testimony is something that you give. And I actually think that's probably a very helpful picture for this passage. That that type of testimony on the witness stand is actually probably a helpful image for this. I think John, what he's trying to convince us of in belief is putting, he's gonna try to convince us of belief by putting three different witnesses on the stand. Three different witnesses that are going to give testimony to Christ. And we're going to see each of these. The first is the water, the second is the blood, and the third is the spirit. And by verse 8, where he's going to help us see all three of these are in agreement. But we're going to take them one at a one and put them on the stand and, and see what each one has to add to this argument to compel us over to faith in Christ. So let's look at the first, which is the water. The water is the first to take the stand. What does he mean when he says, this is he who came by water? What is John getting at? Now, like other parts of John, First John, like other parts of the scriptures, it's debatable what he means when he says the water. And there are some Sundays I think it's valuable to take a few minutes to get into the weeds of interpretation, to go a little bit deeper and list out all the options. And when I do that, I find it fairly exciting. And there's about 10 to 20 of you that also find it exciting. But the rest of you inwardly or audibly groan. It's like, just tell us what he means and move on. Well, guess what? Sunday's for you. I'm not going to get in the weeds. I'm going to tell you what I think he means when he uses water in this passage. All right, here's the most compelling argument I found in the commentaries this week. John is referencing baptism. When he says water, he's referencing baptism. I think this encompasses first the baptism of Jesus that initiated his ministry. And then what followed was a ministry of baptism. That John was baptizing his disciples, then he becomes lesser, Jesus becomes greater, his disciples continue baptizing. And that what's being referenced in the water is the beginning of Christ's ministry and baptism and the continuation of ministry that he baptized, which is pointing to really, I would argue, the whole of Christ's ministry and, and, and the message that accompanied those baptisms, which we saw in the Gospel of Matthew that we walked through last year and the year before which was over and over again, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's this message of this kingdom that he is coming to establish that will have no end and all the goodness that is found in this kingdom. It's this message of repentance that he preaches over and over again to turn from this world, turn from your sin, turn to me, I am better. It's the message of the kingdom. It's the, the whole ministry of where he healed the sick, that he cared for the forgotten, the outcasts, the outsiders, 
It's how he healed the sick. It's how he challenged the self-righteous religious establishment over and over and over again. It's like all the things that we love that make Jesus punk rock and awesome. We love it. That's all of his ministry. I think it's bound up, summarized in this word, water. Jesus came by water. That's the first to take the stand. The second is the blood. The blood, he says in verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Now, if you've been with us in 1 John for a minute, he doesn't write very clearly. <laughs> Tom's just like, wait, what? And this is one of those times where he, where he says something. It's like, why couldn't you just said, he came by water and blood. Let's move on to the spirit. But he says, no. Not by the water only. That should clue us in to ask some questions. What are you getting at there? What are you, what are you not saying when you're saying that? Like there was, a, uh, there was a picture that was circulated online a few years ago. And it was a picture of, uh, of, a, of a notice at the library, at someone's public library. And it said, uh, it said, in light of recent events, there will be no Oreos allowed in the library. And it's like, <laughs> Really? Tell me more. What are you not saying? I want to know what happened. Like, I want to know what kind of mess was made with Oreos in the library. Like, I, I, I get a little messy with Oreos. What I like to do is I like to take the cup of milk, and I like to just, I don't dunk it. I let it, I just drop it. I let it bathe, all right? I let it, I let it get, you don't want it to fall to the bottom, because if it falls to the bottom, it gets a little messy. You got to get your hand in the glass, and sometimes it gets stuck, and then you pull it out. Sometimes milk and Oreo guts go everywhere. It is worth it, but it gets a little messy. I want to know what happened at the library, right? When you see that, it begs the question, what's happening here? That's what's happening here in First John. Okay, not by water only. What are you talking about? And if you've been with us in First John, as we've walked through it, this should make a little bit of sense. Because what we've seen over and over again in 1 John is he's making this argument that Jesus was real. That he was a real physical person. That from the very first verse all the way into the end, there's this theme that he's hitting at. Jesus actually physically came because there was a false teaching at the time that swept through these churches that John was writing to that taught the opposite. That taught that Jesus only came in spirit form. That he didn't come in physical, material form. And we believe that was the early seed by the early beginnings of Gnosticism. So he's just making a point here, not by water only. He did come physically in blood. So that's part of what he's saying here. But also, when you get to the blood, this is the easiest part to interpret. Because the blood is talking about the blood that he shed on the cross. That he shed real blood for our real sins on a real cross. That this actually happened. So what's happening here a little bit is the water, the beginning of Christ's ministry, bringing through the ministry of baptism up to the event, which is the pinnacle event of salvation in the scriptures, the cross, and the empty tomb that follows. But as we saw in 1 John 2, 2, it said he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The blood references this that he teaches over and over again. That we deserve wrath, that Jesus stands in our place, that blood was shed for us, that he made atonement for us, that he made it right for us by his blood and not our own. He came by water, not water only. He came by the real blood that he shed for our real sins that should compel us into belief in Jesus. And then the third witness takes the stand. 
the Spirit. He says, with the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, it's capital S. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the truth. Now, part of this picture undoubtedly goes back to when Jesus was baptized. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. This happened, and the people saw this, and this really marked, this is the Christ. God the Father said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is the one who has come. Listen to him. That's part of the picture here is the Holy Spirit that descends upon Christ at the beginning, but it's also a picture forward to the Holy Spirit that descends upon the people of God. This is a picture that looks forward to Pentecost when the fulfillment happens of God and his temple, God and his people. The Holy Spirit descends upon the new temple of God, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives in his people. This Spirit is the truth and testifies over and over again to us and through us that he is the Christ that he is God. Verse 7, for there are, all, there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. They're all three in agreement. When each one takes the witness stand, they're all testifying to the same truth. They're all in agreement that this is the Christ. And then John goes on to say in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. I think it's a general statement that he's making to say, God's testimony is greater than man's. If you are willing to accept the testimony of mere men, how foolish would we, not, would we be to not te- to accept the testimony of the God who created all things? God's testimony is Greater, And then he goes on to say, when you receive this testimony, it comes to live within you. Verse 10, he says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. When you believe in Jesus, this is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The testimony in you, the the Holy Spirit comes into your life and makes you new. This is the gift that we are given by faith. The testimony comes to live in us. If you believe in Jesus, you have this unbelievably amazing and powerful gift. Don't, in true John form, you're a liar, which we've seen over and over again. In 1 John, is like one of his go-to things. He's like, you believe this or you're a liar? Or you make God to be a liar? All right? Or as the young guns say, cap, no cap. Which took me a minute to figure out what they were saying. But front row knows what I'm talking about. Okay? Lie, no lie. Right? That's the language he uses over and over and over again. Then he gets to verse 10. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God... No, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. That's how he finishes this argument. That if you believe this, 
You have eternal life in Christ. If you believe this, you have this eternal life that he offers. If you don't, you don't have this. So John's closing argument as he's finishing up 1 John is, believe this. Believe this. John wants us to believe this. God wants us to believe this. So much so that three take the stand. The water, the blood, and the spirit. And the hope is that we would believe. Now, that's the argument he's making. I want to look at four conclusions that we can draw from this defense, that we can draw from this argument that deal with the power of testimony. The first is this. The testimony is of a real God. The testimony is of a real God. Verse 6, he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Y'all, this isn't just something the early Christians needed to be convinced of, that Jesus came in the flesh. We need this. Christians, we need to believe this because what happens is, is that we start to, when, when life gets difficult, we start to believe that God is so distant, he's so big, he's so glorious, he's so powerful, he's so mighty, and all of that's true that he can't possibly understand what I'm going through. He can't possibly understand my circumstances. Like, God, don't you want to change what I'm walking through right now? Like, don't you understand how hard this is, how hard life is? And because of the water and the blood, he does. He does understand how hard this life is. Because he came. Because he didn't stand distant in the heavens where he could have rightly ruled and reigned from. He came. And he lived. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived a life. I mean, he experienced loss. He knows what that's like. I mean, the reason why you don't see his earthly father, Joseph, pass when he's a child, it's because he died. He knows what it's like to lose. He knows what it's like to endure loss. He knows what it's like to endure betrayal. Someone that he invested in for three years, discipled, loved, served, sold him for 20 pieces of silver. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. He's abandoned by all but one of his disciples. He knows what it's like to endure temptation those of us who struggle in the throes of temptation, like I just, it's so hard to continue to pursue what is good. It's so hard to endure this. He knows what it's like to endure it. But we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, who is tempted and tried and yet was without sin, Hebrews 4. He knows what it's like to be human because he came. And when God feels distant, when he feels foreign, we need to remember he is a real God that came. We remember the eminence of Christ, meaning that he descended in bodily form, that he knows what it's like. It's not just us that needs to know this. The world needs to know this. I mean, he, he stands apart. He is not Allah that stands distant and demands submission. This isn't a system of Buddhism that leads to nothingness. This isn't, this isn't any false projection that our culture puts upon him, that he's vindictive or that he's cruel or he doesn't care. He does care because he came. 
And the world needs to know that. They need to know that he came, that he was baptized. He spent three years ministering to the least of these. And that he laid down his life on the cross for us. And he rose to give us new life in him. That is a testimony, y'all. And it speaks to a real God. The second conclusion we need to draw is that this testimony is true. This testimony is true. Back in verse 6, is, And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Verse 7, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. John makes this point. The three in agreement, the Spirit is the truth. They line up. This testimony is true. And that's so incredibly important because we live in a time where there's so many false testimonials out there. There's so many false things that are put out there and believed. I mean, you choose, choose your adventure. I mean, there's so, I was listening to a short story. Uh, I was working in my bathroom remodeling, and I, I wanted to listen to a series of short stories because that's what I do for fun. And, um, and I was listening to this short story that came up called The Egg. And it turns out this story is like one of the more critically acclaimed short stories of the last two decades. And this story is about a guy who dies and he immediately appears before God. And he starts to have a conversation with God. And what he learns is, is that he's about to be reincarnated. And he's going to return to the 6th century. And he's going to be back in time reincarnated in the form of a Chinese woman. And what he learns is is that every human that has ever existed is the same consciousness. And then when she dies, he's going to reincarnate to something different, get better and better and better until, uh, until the very end, he's become this godlike figure that he's talking to right now. And I listened to it, and I was like, this is the most baseless, ungrounded, ridiculous argument. And I, I just... When I realized that this is one of the more critically acclaimed short stories that last draw their entire faith and reality from movies and from novels. And as Christians, we have to winsomely, boldly, and lovingly say, that's not true. That's not true. As, as this passage teaches, the testimony of God is greater. For this te- is a testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. That G- when we say be- Jesus is better than everything else, We need to boldly and winsomely argue that. That he is true. What he offers is better. This testimony is true that it's rooted in historical reality. They're not going to find his body. This is rooted in a historical reality. This is rooted in a supernatural reality. The Holy Spirit at work within us. It's anchored in a living hope and a real person who took on real flesh. Don't miss that for a moment. This testimony is true. The third thing we need to see is this testimony is in you. This testimony is in you. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And as we said earlier, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that, the testimony in us, y'all, the implications for that are massive. It's huge that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, comes to minister within us. It's a similar language to, uh, to Romans 8, 
And the argument that Paul is making in the middle of Romans 8 when he says in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That when you're led by the Spirit, that when he dwells within you, that you're no longer a slave to this world, as he argues. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. You're not a slavery, slave to this world, not a slave to your flesh. You've been freed. And more than that, that you belong to him. The spirit within us reminds us of this. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. 16, the spirit himself bears witness. And the Greek word for witness is the same Greek word we have in 1 John 4. Testimony. Same concept. Bears witness. Testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. That the Holy Spirit lives and reigns within us and testifies within us that we are the children of God. That is huge. Because there are moments in this life where we fail to believe that. There are moments in this life I feel this. There are moments where I'm in the midst of doubt. And I'll, I'll go back to my reasoning, right? That I believe that the faith claims of Christ are way more compelling to the wide leaps of faith that it takes to have nothing. I'll reason there. I'm like, no, I, 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 this is the most reasonable argument, the most compelling argument. The reason in and of itself is not enough. It, it, it's not always enough. And sometimes I feel this doubt. It's like a dark haze of hopelessness that just lingers. And in the midst of that doubt, the Spirit goes to work. One of the more beautiful songs that I've, I've heard in the last few years is this song by Ghost Ship. Uh, we, uh, we sing some Ghost Ship songs from time to time. They had this song that came out a couple of years ago called Belief. And I love what the songwriter works through because he's working through this doubt. He's working through this, this darkness that he's struggling through. And he, in the first verse, he says, Darkness haunts me again today. So confused have I lost the way. If you're there, and you're as God, if you're there, I can't see your face. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to believe. Help me in my unbelief. And he's quoting the father who brought his son to Jesus and said, oh, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, I feel that first. Like, I, I feel that. It's just so hard to believe sometimes that we, it, we feel this doubt that just hovers over us where we question the goodness of God or the existence of God or the faithfulness of God or the love of God or the character of God. We begin to question who God is and this doubt just lingers over us and it leaves us in this place of desperation and it's in those moments that the Holy Spirit comes into his people and begins to do his work. He begins to minister within us. And I love how this song ends because it, it works with that progression you can tell that he's felt that he's felt that darkness and that God has come and it met him in the midst of his doubt and has gone to work because he finishes the song by saying there are only a few things I know I know that he rose which is a testimony of true events he came by the water and the blood that he really did come and this really did happen I know that he rose I know that he loves me so 
I know that he won't let go. And with those two statements, I know that he loves me so, and I know that he won't let go. You can read those, but the Holy Spirit makes us feel those. He makes us feel the love of God in a way that he's close, that we can feel his presence. He makes us feel that he holds us in his hand, that he won't let us go. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And the Spirit wins us over and over and over again. And he testifies to our soul, to our spirit, that you belong to me. That you are my child. That no one is going to snatch you out of my hand. That I love you because I love you because of my great love. And I will carry you all the way to the finish. The people of God have the Holy Spirit at work within us. Testifying at work within us. And the last thing I want us to see is that the testimony grants us eternal life. That this testimony gives eternal life. Verse 11, he says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And as Chet is going to pick up next week in verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The argument he's making over and over and over again in first John. God gave us eternal life in Christ. The testimony of God is greater. Those of us that trust that he came by the water, that he lived a life, he fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf. For those that believe that he came by the blood, that his blood was shed for us on the cross, that our sin is what puts him on the cross and his blood was shed for us. For those who believe the Holy Spirit comes and makes us new creations in Christ and testifies to our spirit, we have eternal life. The three take the stand, the water, the blood, and the Spirit, and they're all in agreement, and they're all compelling us to believe. Some of you, some of you have never surrendered to this Christ. Some of you have been around church your entire life. Some of you are just checking it out for the first time, but you've never surrendered to this Christ. And I want you so clearly to hear this morning, Jesus wants you. This testimony shows he wants you, that he desires you, that, he that your past does, does not have to define you, that your life right now does not have to define you, that faith in Jesus is putting all of our hope in what he has done for us, that by grace he saves us, that there's nothing that you bring to the table but your sin, and he wants you, he wants to take your sin on the cross he wants you. Believe this, that God has you here this morning, that he desires you. That this testimony is good, it is pure, it is perfect, and it is for you. Don't stop running. Stop running from God. He wants you. Believe this testimony. It is worth your life. Some of you are Christians. And you got to be honest about the doubt that you are facing. And John so clearly is teaching of this morning. He's teaching us keep believing. Continue to believe. Believe is not a one-time event that happens. It, it is a continual. You believe over and over and over and over again. 
testimony is of a real God who came, who died for us, who took on flesh. The testimony is true. And the testimony is in you. And this morning, he so clearly wants you to know that is true. And that what is held out in front of you, Christian, is a testimony that does not end. That heads into eternity. We continue to fight to believe this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Matt's going to come up. And he's going to take that song, Belief, that I just read through. And he's going to sing it over us. And as he does, I want us to listen. Listen to the voice of God. That for those of you that are here, that have never surrendered to who this God is, that never fully believe in the testimony of Christ, my hope and prayer is that you would believe this song would be a confession and you confess it for the first time. Maybe you are a Christian and you've been struggling for years. You've been struggling with doubt. Make this your prayer. Help me in my unbelief. Help me believe in what the water and the blood and the spirit testify to. Help me believe in this Christ. May this encourage your soul, remind you of your Savior, and remind you how good this testimony is. Let me pray. Father, we need you. We need you in a world that has darkness and doubt in our lives, where there's darkness and doubt. May you cut through it and we see you so clearly and so beautifully right now. For those who have never trusted in Christ, may they believe right now. For those who have trusted in Christ but are struggling, may you help them to continue to believe this testimony. In Christ's name, amen.